Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. Okay, it is 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Welcome to the first Thursday, Refuge Recovery World Services teacher-led offering. Um, welcome to anybody that's new. I always try to remember to remind folks that this is not a refuge recovery meeting. Refuge recovery meetings are peer-led. Um, and this is the monthly teacher-led uh, offering where I go off script from the traditional refuge script and um, lead a meditation and then pick a Buddhist topic. Um, and last month I started, uh, we talked about karma and um, uh, understanding um, karma. And I said that I'd follow it up with this month uh, with the second factor of the Eightfold Path, intention, wise intention. And so that's our topic for tonight. We'll talk about the second factor of the Eightfold Path of Buddhism, Eightfold Path of Refuge Recovery. But we begin with a sitting meditation. We'll do 20 minutes of sitting meditation, and then I'll introduce the topic, and we'll have some time for questions and discussion. So welcome, everyone. Glad you're here. And uh, let's start by finding a way to sit that is appropriate for meditation, sitting meditation, finding a upright and relaxed posture. When you're ready, allowing your eyes to be gently closed and taking a little bit of time to relax the body, release any unnecessary tension as you settle into stillness, into the upright posture. Establishing mindfulness, present time, non-judgmental awareness of our whole bodies, sensations in the hands and feet, arms and legs, trunk of the body. Feel your contact with the seat that you're on, the chair, the couch. Feel the breath as it comes and goes, rising and falling, expanding and contracting the chest and belly. And also bringing awareness to the sense doors, taking inventory of the senses of seeing what's being Perceived behind the closed eyelids right now. What are you seeing? Is there any smell, sense door, perception of smelling and tasting? What sounds are you aware of in this moment, this present time experience? Can you hear the internal sounds, the breath, the heartbeat, the ringing in the ears? What 
external sounds, my voice coming and going, sounds in your space that you're in, in the building, outside. And what kind of mood is present? What's your mind state like right now? Kind of attitude, mood. Is your heart, your mind experiencing right now? Is there any emotional content? joy, sorrow, sadness, excitement, hope, fear. What's present in your heart mind right now? I'm bringing a intentional intention, aspiration, to be kind, to be patient, to be tolerant, accepting, to be friendly, a friendly intention, a friendly attitude towards our experience, towards our meditation, towards our body, our hearts, our minds, as much as we can, as we learn to be kind to ourselves. Leaving the critical voices in the mind, the judging mind also met with friendliness as much as we can. Spending some time just resting the mindfulness with the sensations of the breath. Mindfulness, which ultimately is inclusive of our whole experience, can be directed, directing your mindfulness towards the sensations of the breath, this simple intervention. As we learn to ignore our minds, let that be in the background. giving our full awareness to the sensations of the breath as the foreground of our attention. Breathing in, know you're breathing in. Breathing out, know you're breathing out.
course, our attention wanders away from the breath, getting involved in our thoughts. We're being able to disengage from what the mind is thinking about and just come back to the breath, back to the body sitting, contact with the chair, remembering that we're here, we're not in that future plan, that memory, that worry. We're here sitting, breathing. Remember to soften the tension that occurs in the jaw or the chest or the belly. Remember to be as friendly as you can towards your experience. Not letting meditation create an adversarial relationship with our minds. But ignoring the mind as an act of kindness. Not now. Come back to the breath over and over. you're new to this kind of meditation practice, just keep coming back to the breath. Keep learning to ignore your mind. Take refuge in the present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness of the body breathing. The Buddha's instructions Encourage us to eventually expand again and opening to our whole being, the emotions, the thoughts, the sense doors. With an investigation of what's happening right now in the heart, the mind, what sounds, smells, tastes, or images are present, investigating what's happening moment to moment and what the feeling tone is. Is it pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? 
it's in our awareness of the pleasant, the unpleasant, and the neutral that we begin to develop compassion, wisdom, non-attachment. Almost all of our suffering is created by resisting what is unpleasant. Or clinging, craving for that which is pleasant. Mindfulness as an intervention, as a transformative response. No longer ignoring the mind, but just treating the mind like the rest of our experience. Just thoughts arising and passing, just like the breath comes and goes. The heart beats all by itself. The lungs breathe all by themselves. The mind thinks all by itself. It's not your fault. We can learn to be not so identified, so involved with what the mind is up to. Having some choice about how we respond to our thoughts and emotions. Spending the last couple of minutes turning towards the simple loving kindness phrase. Starting with yourself, saying to ourselves, may I learn to be at ease with myself just as I am. May I learn to be at ease with this mind, heart, the difficult emotions. May I learn to be at ease in this body with all of the craving for pleasure, aversion to pain, this physical form subject to sickness, aging, and death. May I learn to be at ease. And then extending this same wish to each other, to the Sangha, 
refuge recovery community, mentors, friends, mentees, all of the people that we connect with in this process of recovery. Sending the wish for ease, for well-being. May you learn to be at ease with yourself just as you are with your mind, with your process of healing, recovering, awakening. And extending loving kindness out in all directions until we include all living beings, the young and the old, those being born, those dying, those nearby and far away, and powerful and the weak, those experiencing oppression and those who are so confused that they're oppressing. Loving kindness in all directions to include all living beings. May all beings find the willingness to do what needs to be done in their own heart and mind to free themselves from suffering, to understand that we have the ability to be at ease, to be free from suffering, to be happy. May all beings find the willingness to do what needs to be done to experience ease in the midst of whatever circumstances their life finds them in. May all beings be at ease. May all beings be free from suffering. When you're ready, allowing your eyes to be open, bringing your attention back to the space that you're in, allowing your body to stretch, to move whatever way feels pleasant, appropriate. Taking a moment to reflect on your experience in the meditation. How the mind wanders, how we bring it back. How we set these intentions at the beginning of the meditation, we say, may I be kind, may I be friendly, may I be patient, tolerant towards my own experience. And how long does that last? How long are we able to stay kind before the judging mind, before we get hooked into resistance, the old habitual reactions? So some reflections and then some discussion on intention, the second factor of the Eightfold Path. Now, traditionally, the Eightfold Path is broken down into three sections. The first two sections, understanding and intention, are um, wisdom factors of the Eightfold Path. That's where we develop wisdom. The middle three sections um, are about ethics how we speak, how we act, and uh, livelihood. And then the last three are um, meditation, uh, effort, mindfulness, and concentration. So reflecting on the second factor, intention, where the Buddha says, you know, if you want to follow this path and you want to, you know, for our purposes, recover from addiction for, you know, it, uh, you want to you want to get free. You want to be happy. You want to end suffering. 
all the unnecessary suffering in your life, you're going to have to um, be really mindful of what we are uh, intentionally thinking, what um, how we are intentionally, we have to be intentional, how we are intentionally responding to what's happening. Now, this is, um, you know, sounds kind of simple, have positive intentions. There's, you know, a long-term mantra of mine from the punk rock scene, keep a PMA, positive mental attitude. Easy to say, hard to do. <laughs> um, and part of the perspective here is that the human tendency, our mind's natural tendency, is pretty um, dysfunctional. It's pretty, uh, it's going to create suffering for us, to put it simply. <laughs> uh, the untrained mind, the unintentional uh, response to pleasure is clinging and craving. And that's not like, intentional it's unintentional it's it's habitual it's reactive it's uh our survival instinct clinging and craving which leads to all the suffering of the clinging and the craving uh the the natural response to unpleasant to painful experience is aversion is angry anger and hatred and and um resentment towards our pain uh so in order to develop the antidotes to suffering, which are non-attachment and compassion and learning to not take everything so personal, not to be so ego-centered, self-obsessed, we have to intentionally shift from what our normal response would be and what our normal human motivations are, which, you know, the Buddha was, you know, kind of, Kind of, he said, basically, humans are just motivated by greed and hatred and delusion. And all of the suffering that we experience is coming from those unintentional drives. The human uh, experience, which is driven by greed, craving, clinging, lust, attachment is all in the greed basket and annoyance, judgment, anger, fear of pain, resentment towards pain is all in the hatred, despising, judging, even comparing all of that stuff that we do, hatred. And, you know, from the little annoyances to the big resentments. And delusion, that delusion that we're all born with, that we think everything's personal and it's all about us all of the time and worried about what people think about us and comparing ourselves to each other and all of that, you know, stuff that is unintentional, right? Like none of us made the decision early in life of, you know, I'm going to be a self-centered. <laughs> I think I'll live my life as a self-centered, craving, aversive jerk. None of us made that, you know, that wasn't intentional for any of us, for anybody. But it's, you know, on some level or another, how we all turned out and how all human beings turn out self-centered, fear-based, attached to pleasure, aversive to pain. So the Buddha says, hey, if you want to get free, you're going to have to do this really radical, intentional shift of how you relate to pleasure, how you relate to pain. You're going to have to intentionally train the mind. And this is where the seventh factor, mindfulness, you can't really do the second factor uh, intention without bringing mindfulness. That's why in Refuge Recover, we start with mindfulness meditation instructions. It's the core. You, uh, you know, every factor of the Eightfold Path 
is dependent on the seventh factor being present. Mindfulness is necessary to understand, to have wise intention, to have wise actions, to have wise livelihood, to all of it is connected with both six and seven. The um, effort to be mindful leads to the ability to slowly change our intentional actions, our intentional responses. I think I talked about this a little bit last month, where um, in understanding the, the first factor of the path and understanding, um, one of the ways that the Buddha talks about it is dependent origination. And it's an explanation of how karma works. And, and one of the ways that, that he says is that basically, um, without mindfulness, the human mind, body, awareness, <clears throat> meets pleasure and it clings to it it's the natural tendency clinging and craving attachment and because of that attachment suffering follows the karma of the clinging of attachment is suffering or the flip side of clinging and craving which is aversion now the only way to free ourselves from that cycle of creating suffering by clinging and craving and aversion is by intentionally training our minds to understand impermanence and to begin to let go to to uh, intervene between that moment of sense contact with something that we're seeing hearing smelling tasting feeling thinking that is pleasant and that clinging we have to intervene mindfulness is an intentional intervention So you know already what to do, right? Three things intentionally. <laughs> Let go, non-attachment. But we know that intent, you know, but each moment we're, we're up against the nervous system, the mind, the body, not even to mention societal's ignorance. You know, society's ignorantly encouraging us to cling, to get attached, to you know, think that there's some sort of material or sensual refuge or solution. So constantly bringing back non-attachment, let go, let go, let go. My intention is to not cling to things being different than they are. My intention is to not cling to what's happening, to understand impermanence. I have to intentionally train my mind to live in a place of less and less clinging, more and more non-attached appreciation towards what's pleasant. And the second thing, right? So non-clinging. The second thing is compassion. And compassion's never gonna happen by itself to truly have compassion for our own pain, to truly have compassion for others. It's not going to happen all by itself. We have to intentionally, when something unpleasant happens and that reactive, habitual reactive tendency of anger, of covering that pain with judgment, with fear, with anger, to replace it with compassion. My intention is to not hate but to have compassion, to see clearly, to see deeply that even those who are causing harm are worthy, they're suffering, they're confused. And my hatred creates suffering for me and it just makes the whole situation worse. But compassion is the intervention. Compassion is the wise response to ignorant, confused, harmful situations. But this is so foreign to us, so the intention, I need to intentionally remind myself, bring that in. In the meditation, we train our minds, we create the neuropathways, we set those intentions over and over. One of the, um, some of you have probably seen this before, seen me do this. Um, this is a, a bell, one of those bells that we use. But I, um, I'm using it as a prop. Uh, at one point, somebody asked the Buddha, how does this work? How do we develop compassion? How do we develop love and kindness? How do we develop non-attachment? You know, how does this 
liberation process work for our purposes, the recovery process works. He says, well, the mind, the heart, the mind, this human experience um, is malleable and it's, uh, you can train it, you can train the mind. He said, though, you know, it's a little bit like dropping water on a soft stone. And like, so when you intentionally let go and you say, okay, there's this tendency to cling, but I'm going to accept the impermanent nature, let go, and that you're dropping that or compassion, loving kindness, forgiveness, and that you're, you know, it's like a drop of water and this is the, the sandstone. And if you drop that water, if you bring that intentional non-attachment, intentional compassion, intentional kindness, generosity, all of these principles that we're trying to develop in our lives, and you keep bringing those intentions into your mind, into your speech, into your actions, is that eventually it creates a groove in the stone and it creates um, pathways. The, the, the water drops there enough times that it creates a habit. I don't know how many of you are familiar with neuroscience, but neuro, you know, basically 2,600 years ago, the Buddha was talking about how uh, neural pathways are created. When we intentionally bring kindness into the mind, it creates a kindness habit in the mind. When we intentionally bring uh, compassion over and over and over and we replace that aversive tendency with forgiveness, with love, when we intentionally respond in this new way, it creates a habit of mind and a neural pathway that starts to form. Now, sometimes, I don't know about you, but for me, when I was new for my first couple of years, few years of meditation, I felt like this shit's not working at all. <laughs> I don't feel any more kind. I don't feel any more compassionate. I don't feel any more loving because it was just bouncing off. But it's that repetition over, 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 over. And then for some people, it's months, some people, it's years that eventually it really starts to take root and you can start to see, oh, actually, my mind has become a place of less hatred, of more love, has become a place of more compassion, more forgiveness, more kindness, more uh, acceptance of the impermanent nature of things. And that happens over the years of training the mind and dropping those intentions in. Does that make sense? I don't know if that image works for everybody, but I find it a helpful, helpful image. In the traditional um, text in the second foundation, there's a couple of lines there. The Buddha says something like, to develop uh, intentions that are free from ill will, free from uh, cruelty, so, you know, all of those human tendencies to judge, to resent, to hate, to have cruelty in our hearts and minds, to intentionally replace those with loving kindness, with compassion, with forgiveness. Now, I'll say one other piece and then some dialogue. One of the other ways to think about the second foundation or factor of the Eightfold Path um, is uh, which direction, what, what's our aim? What, where, where are we intending to go? Now, um, I'm intending to recover from addiction. Um, I've been living a life running from my pain, uh, medicating my pain, avoiding my pain, trying to create pleasure. And it's been taking me that way. And now I want to go to recovery, which is that way. <laughs> and what are the things that I need to do to intentionally go towards recovery? I need to meditate. I need to um, be part of community. I need to do my inventories. I need to be generous and be of service. I need to intentionally do add a whole bunch of stuff to my life that I don't necessarily want to do. That certainly wasn't part of my life in active addiction, but my intention is to recover my, in, in Buddhism, my intention is to awaken. I want to be free. I want to be awake. And, um, and that that's a, it's a goal. It's an aim. It's a process, but there actually is some level of a destination or at least a clear path 
the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, this clear path that heads in this direction away from hatred, away from self-centeredness, away from clinging and craving and greed. And we're constantly having to you know, assess and not only do what we do, our inventories, which are all about how greed, hatred, and delusion have manifested in our life once, then we revisit intentionally. I gotta yearly revisit my inventories to look at, am I headed in the right direction? One of the things we see so often in recovery is people who get really motivated for a period of time and they're heading in the right direction and they're meditating and they're being of service and they're doing the inventories and they're engaging with uh, community, sangha, they're starting meetings, they're supporting meetings. And then at some point, some, you know, on year two or year five or year seven or wherever it is, something happens, boredom, uh, you know, so, and they stop meditating and they stop going to meetings and they stop and all of a sudden, they're not heading in the right direction. And they started to veer off of the path. And, you know, often that leads to relapse. Sometimes they don't even relapse. They just become sober and miserable. Still abstinent, but not uh, intervening, not having those intentions of kindness, compassion, non-attachment, generosity that lead to the true sense of, you know, that promise that we have in refuge recovery. If you follow this path, thoroughly, it will lead to a lifetime, a sense of well-being and ease. But only if you thoroughly continue intentionally applying these principles. And, that, and that's one of the, I think, the biggest, most difficult things is the follow-through. When we're desperate in early recovery, it's easy to be like, I'll do all the things because I'm suffering. And then you stay sober for a while, you get some recovery time, and you're like, well, I'm not suffering so much anymore. Do I really have to do all of the things still? <laughs> and that's, you know, in the intentions start going in the other direction. We start to think, well, maybe I would just be happy if I was had more money. And then the greed and the craving and the clinging uh, comes in. The detour, which I think often does lead people to relapse, but not always. So moment-to-moment -moment intention based in our positive karma-producing uh, principles, non-attachment, compassion, understanding the impersonal nature of things, forgiveness, generosity, and then also the intention of like, I really want to go, I really want to get free. I want to go that, you know, this, I want to stay on the path. I want to keep doing all of the things, even when I'm not motivated by desperation, but I'm now motivated more by altruism. I want to be of service. I'm no, no longer going to the meetings because I need it. I'm going to the meetings so that I can help the other people that are coming in desperate like we were in the beginning. So we got about 15 minutes for some discussion. Um, you can, anything you want to discuss, but it's interesting to keep it around this first, this second foundation, second factor of the Eightfold Path around intentions. And I might've missed something. So any anything you, any questions you have about it? Ginny, go ahead. And if you wouldn't mind turning your camera on, that would be good. First, I'm so glad you're coming back to Oregon in January. All right. I can't wait. So what I have found in my second year of sobriety is all of the grief that I drank away is overwhelming when it when it comes up. You know, things that I didn't deal with, I just drank. That was how I dealt with them. And so you know do you have any suggestions for you know starting to besides the grief you know i've been doing a couple of meditations but is that common to happen to folks and yeah um i don't think it's i don't think it's uncommon i think that often our you know active addiction keeps a lot suppressed and keeps us, you know, uh, at least in denial or in some level of avoidance of some of our pain. 
grief, sorrow, and that then we sober up and in the beginning of, you know, the recovery process, um, we're kind of just motivated and 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 maybe even a little you know they have they talk about the pink cloud that can happen sometimes in the first year or so of like wow i'm you know i'm not strung out <laughs> this is amazing um you know and then the kind of like oh there's all of this underlying wounds that i was drinking and using and acting in my process addictions you know to avoid and to to mitigate and now I'm stuck with it. Now I'm here and all of the stuff, the underlying causes and conditions which fueled my addiction are still here. And this process of healing um, is unpleasant. It's hard. Unpleasant. And it's totally worth it. And it's, you know, it is our best bet. But uh the loving kindness practice, the compassion practice, the forgiveness practice, and just learning to be sad. Just be mindful of like, yeah, I'm really fucking sad. I'm really hurt. I'm really grieving and that it's okay. Understanding the impermanence of those emotions that we don't have to cling to them. We don't have to make an identity out of like, I am grief incarnate. Grief is a process that comes through. It's a natural process that comes through. And we have to tend to it. And it's what we're doing with our mindfulness. It's what we're doing with, you know, even the way loving kindness practice. May I learn to be at ease with myself just as I am, with my grief, with my sorrow, with my trauma. May I learn to be at ease in this, you know, fried nervous system that I live with. May I learn to be at ease rather than I need the grief to go away. I need, uh, you know, that, all of that craving I need. May I learn to just tend to the way it is in this mind with a little bit more kindness, a little bit more compassion, a little bit more acceptance. And then, you know, see what happens in year three and year four and year five. And you'll look back and you're like, yeah, year two was tough. I had a lot of unattended sorrow to attend to. And now in year five and seven and 10 and whatever, if you, you know, if you stay with the, with the process, you'll see like, oh, it's so worth it to, to feel that and heal it and, and walk through it and be able to pass it on to other people of like, yep, we can get through this. I hope that's. I, um, I just recently took a trip to Italy, which I'd never been to Europe before. And it was amazing how offended the waiters and waitresses were when I wouldn't accept the wine. And so my husband, you know, just asked me for help. He just started when we ordered saying, she's allergic to wine. She won't be having a glass. Is there some kind of, you know, juice that you can bring her? But um, they took it as a personal affront. Yeah. It's really interesting. Thank you so much, Noah. You're very welcome. Thanks, Jenny. You know, there's that cheesy joke what you just say to him you say i'm allergic i break out in handcuffs that's wonderful i would you, you don't want me drinking your wine i'll burn this place down will go ahead Thank you. Um, there you go. So I had a bit of a meltdown today and it kind of just came out of nowhere. I deal with some different family dynamics. Uh, my dad's in a long-term care facility and we have things set up for him in a way to where things work pretty cohesively. He's able to turn on the TV, access the phone, all this other stuff. And, uh, my mom and him have been separated for 16 years. She goes today, brings him a new TV. She's fucking up the whole flow of how things are there. And uh, she had called me a couple of days ago saying, I bought him a TV. Should I bring it to him? And I'm like, fuck, no, don't do it. Like, he's fine. He's good. I don't even know why she called to ask. She went and did it anyways. So she calls me today. And she wants to get it set up, wants to get the internet set up, all this other stuff. And I 
could not believe how quickly my anger rose inside me to where I was like screaming and fucking yelling. And uh, it, it was it was pretty shocking that after I remember on retreat, you said it only lasts for about 90 seconds, the bubbling up but where it gets to the peak and then it dissipates and you're good. It, it uh, yeah, it sat with me for a good long while. And, and I was grateful there was nobody in the barbershop while I'm losing my shit. You know, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? So um, I got off. I, I ended the phone call. I, I had to just walk away from the situation. But I guess my question to you, you know, with intention and all this other kind of stuff, I've done a lot of work around, uh, you know, forgiveness and the relationship with my mom very complicated a lot of trauma there and even after like doing this kind of stuff for 15 years i'm I'm just blown away how this shit could just kind of come out of nowhere and just fucking get me like it did today yeah i don't um here's what i can say to that will i've had very similar you know, even in long-term recovery with long-term meditation practice, where I've just been very reactive, particularly around parents. And, um, you know, it is the sort of, it's the deepest, you know, I was talking about, uh, you know, those neuropathways of mm -hmm. our, you know, intentional developing wisdom, compassion. Um, but we have a whole lifetime from birth of, uh, of kind of, our buttons being installed, those pertinent pathways of of wounding and and you know from our parents. And so even even sometimes when we have, you know, a general ability to be kind and compassionate and, you know, like you said, 15 years in, um, sometimes we just, you know, don't make that intentional choice to be kind and we just get triggered. We just get derailed and and super reactive. Um, so there's the humility to say like, yeah, that still happens sometimes. I'm not in the place where I can be completely non-reactive and, you know, I can, I can really get hooked sometimes. Um, and then we make amends. And then we, you know, we do the forgiveness practice. We have humility. We have some compassion for, oh, ooh, I was in a lot of pain. I was quite reactive. And we send them some forgiveness and, you know, and we, and we make some amends. And we say, you know, hey, mom, sorry I had such a strong reaction for any harm that I caused you in it. And we carry on. You know all of those things. Yep. I had that phone call just before this meeting. So yeah. definitely. Yeah, but there is, you know, it's it's good. Uh, may, maybe one of the good function and to bright side it a little bit. One of the good functions of that is that it does keep us in this place of like, yeah, I, you know, I've got work to do. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not done. I'm not there yet. I can still get quite hooked into some, you know, old behavior reactivity. Anyways, I hope that those reflections are. You, yeah, 100%. Yep. It happens. You, and, you know, I, I sort of said it, but there's that joke that sort of like our parents will always be able to push our buttons because they know right where they are because they installed them. Yeah. You know, like oh, they yeah. are the ones that installed our buttons. And, you know, and eventually it becomes the kind of, um, you know, where we can see like, oh, I'm actually much less reactive than I used to be. I couldn't even, you know, be in the same room before. And now, you know, I can tolerate five minutes and then 10 minutes. And then, you know, I used to do that all the time. And now I only do it once or twice a year. Yes. <laughs> you know, pretty good. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. You're welcome. Joseph and then Brian will do the last two. Hi, Noah. How you doing, man? Doing um, good. Good, good. Um, so I'm very early on in sobriety. I'm about 95 days in. And um I'm a meetings maker, and uh, I do about six to seven a week, uh, mainly refuge, but I also do AA as well. And um, I'm home for the first, I'm in sober living in Pasadena, California, but I'm from New York, and I'm actually home visiting my wife this weekend. And um, 
I'm trying to wrap the reason for the visit is is one to see her and two to wrap my mind around the feels of being home in a place where I did so much drinking. And I was wondering if you could give like any guidance on like how I could feel a little bit more settled in myself and in my thoughts being in an environment where she keeps it beautiful and clean, but there's just then like wonderful and it's like set up beautifully, but there's just so much memory and not positive, uh, a lot of negative. And I just maybe like, you know, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around it a little bit more solidly. I don't feel like using, I just feel a little unsettled. Yeah, naturally. Um, I don't think I have much sage advice for you around that other than um, we've all been through that, you know, and getting sober and, you know, going back to the same places and the same people and, um, you know, and a lot of people get out of treatment and they relapse, you know, and it's like, oh, I was doing pretty good when I had that controlled environment and I was so motivated, but then I got back into the, you know, home and the neighborhood and the the city and the job or whatever it is. Um but there's so many of us who have walked through that, you know, that kind of give the the proof that like you can do it, you know, yes, it's going to, but also it's going to be difficult and you're going to have all of those unpleasant thoughts and feelings and, you know, associations with the stuff in the house and the relationship and the neighborhood. And like, I used to drink at that bar every day and, you know, you'll, you'll go through that for some time, you know, but you're also going to create a whole new uh, new memories and new relationship of like, oh, I didn't know there was a meeting down the street because I wasn't sober, <laughs> but now I know there's a meeting down the street. And then you go to the, you start going to the meetings and, you know, and you see like, oh, wow. Like I know some of these people, <laughs> these are the people I grew up with. These are the people I see on the streets. These are the, you know, are you in the city? Or are you upstate? I'm upstate. I'm in Westchester. In Westchester. Yeah. I mean, you know, so you're going to create all, you'll create a, a, a recovery life. And your, you know, active alcoholism, addiction life will be in the rear view at, you know, in the coming months and years. And you'll have this whole new fellowship, Sangha, you know, you'll be like, wow, I didn't realize how much cool Buddhist stuff there was because I wasn't awake. And now I have all of these new things to check out. And um, but yeah, of course, it's going to be uncomfortable. And you just have to walk through that like there's no there's no way to, to do anything other than just, we got to walk through it when we show up and we're uncomfortable and you have these tools, forgiveness, compassion, you know, just the mindfulness. I'm here. Can I get out of my head? Come back to my breath, come back to my body. And, you know, because almost all of that anxiousness around it is, is fear of the future, but I'm here. I'm not in the future. I'm right here right now. Oh, these, things around me. Unpleasant. Okay. Unpleasant feeling tone. Let me soften to that. Let me bring some, try to bring some friendliness to it. Um, so just really applying these practices. And like you said, meeting maker, um, you know, and you're going every day in treatment. Maybe when you go home, you want to go twice a day, if you can, <laughs> to really have that support, you know, for those first few months of transitioning back into, you know, and you got the Zoom, you know, Plenty of plenty of Zoom refuge community to connect with, and then you'll find some in-person um, communities to connect with also. Thank you very much, Noah. You said exactly what I needed to hear, bud. Welcome, welcome, Brian. Last last thought. Hi, Noah. Uh, pleasure to meet you. I uh, just want to say thank you. I'm about three <laughs> three and a half weeks in. I have um, behavioral addiction issues that we thought manifested as alcohol, marijuana, shopping, all these things. So we're, long story short, I blew up my fucking life. My 16-year-old son won't talk to me. I got fucking beat up in my front lawn a month ago because I was sexting this chick who, you know, and then I, I had an affair four years ago. So long story short, my, I recently diagnosed ADHD too, right? So I have this hyper-focus. 
um, then you have these addiction issues. So I, I have so much going on in my mind, so tangled up right now that I'm really trying to embrace this. And it's, it's been life-changing in the three and a half weeks, but you know, so as my wife and I work out what the hell's going to go on, um, she's like, you know what, you're doing this Buddhist thing, you're rah, 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 and you're just addicted to that now, you know? So it, it's hard. And you, you know, it rung true here when you said, you know what, these people come in and they're all excited and this and that, and it kind of fades away. So you know, so I had quit drinking. I was never chemically addicted, believe it or not. Um, and I dropped it. I had an affair, got exposed about four years ago. And I'm like, no, fuck it. I'm done. Threw away the booze. I fought through it for like four months, just whatever. But now I find out four years later, I was a dry drunk, right? So now I get tempted by this other woman who dangles it. She knew I had an affair. She tried to get ahead of her husband and she dangled a carrot and I you know, went for it like a moron. Um, so now I'm addressing like the dry drunk thing, all these things from childhood, all these traumas and th things where I grew up and I never had, you know, the solid family, the loving family. We never communicated. So I just went no shell since I was a kid. You know, when my friends had an intervention a few weeks ago, it was the first time I, I cried in my best friend's arms. I don't, you know, I don't cry not because I'm macho. I just don't know how to express these feelings. So I know I'm kind of all over the place and rambling here, but, um, you know, point being, how do I make this because I'm so high speed, I'm so hyper-focused, I'm so, all these things against me, right, in my own brain, how do I stay on this path, stay intentional, show people, show my son and my daughter and my wife and all these things that, you know what, this isn't just another hyper-fixation, this isn't just, you know, like last time, hey, I quit drinking, we're good, we don't need to dress anything else, I I'm, I'm saved, so just how to stay on this path, how to really get involved, I've been looking at all the Zoom meetings, I don't really know which one to pick i'm in massachusetts uh, you know I, there's no meetings really around me so i'm just trying to get my footing here and um you know i really appreciate your book and everything that's getting me on this path i just need this next step <laughs> on how to get there well welcome thank you um I, don't I know really, I grew a lot out there. No, I don't really know the answer to how to um, stay. What I I know I know I want to, and I know I will put it that way. You know, it, it's I guess it's just showing the other folks that you know this this is my new life path. I'm not going that way again. I'm done. Like booze, I've never been tempted to have it again. I've had it in front of well, me. I don't care. It's done. Yeah. You know. Well, ho hopefully that's true and we'll see. And, yeah. it, you know, and it doesn't even matter so much. What matters is like right now, um, you know, go to go to meetings every day if you can. Meditate yeah. every day. Yeah. Uh, start working through the, in, you know, find a mentor, start working through the inventory. Okay. Yeah. Um, don't, you know, jump ahead and start making amends until you've done some of the internal oh, forgiveness. Absolutely. Uh, practice, you know, follow, follow the process and find, find, uh, you know, find a guy that has been through it to walk through it with you. Um, yeah. And, you know, the kind of <clears throat> you're, oh, you're just addicted to this now. Um, maybe, but like, what a great thing to be addicted to, you know, I'm yeah, right, to, right. to be kind and compassionate and healing. And, you know, the, our definition of addiction is, you know, those repetitive behaviors. Yeah cause harm. Actually, you probably won't cause any harm through your meditative healing process. <laughs> yeah. No, no. So, it, it's yeah. helping to slow my mind down because my mind, as you can see, is in high gear. <laughs> yeah. You know, I am so just I say, you know, just show up and, you know, okay. and and with that sort of like, you know, humility of like, I don't know, I feel like I feel like I feel like I found the path that I want to be on and I'm going to yeah. be on forever. But that humility of like, we'll see one day at a time, one breath at a time. Yeah. You know, let me do just the next right thing, the next appropriate action. Yeah. Um, and that's what I really identified with, because I looked for a program on purpose that was not substance abuse based and was not religious based. Um, you know, so in, in this seemed to fit and, you know, it, it's been really good. So if there's anybody out there that can help me or guide me or kind of take me under your wing, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I saw a couple of things in the chat. Um, it looks like um somebody there's a woman looking for a female mentor it sounds like oh, i see the chat Ryan might be looking for a male mentor so if you guys want to um i don't have to shut i want to end here and I'll okay end the, uh... refuge recovery is freely offered if you'd like to make a donation to support us you may do so by following the link in the episode notes we appreciate your generosity